Hello and welcome to another episode of Elite Rugby Banter. Uh, we are carrying on with the World Cup um, r- rundown, and we're I think we're into the fourth week, and things are going all right. Things are going well. To get t- together with me today, I have Andrew and Ant as usual. Andrew, how are you doing? Are you enjoying the World Cup so far? Uh, I'm having a great time. Um, I've just got back from a week and a half in the low felt, so. It's been hot and humid and full of wildlife, so that makes me happy. And uh, some good rugby on top of it. It means I've I've caught less of the games live. I'll try to car- carry on with the highlights packages, but um, been catching it wherever I can. And now we've got the cricket to contend with as well. So yeah, it's going to be a sport-filled few weeks. I'm excited. Yeah, but uh, two World Cups at once is... Uh, something we don't often get at the same time. So let's look forward to it. And how about you back in Cape Town? How's everything on your side? Yeah, very good. Um, we're finally getting a little bit of good weather after last week's storms. Um, fortunately, wasn't too affected where I was. Um, but yeah, a lot of a lot of people taking damage. So hopefully they, the Springboks can use that as motivation of the you know, more suffering South Africans are facing. They can turn that into something good for us. Yeah, um, we'll get into all of the matches, but uh, before we go on, um, we'd just like to celebrate our own quick uh, milestone. It may have officially been last week, but this is our unofficial 250th episode um, from right at the start where it was just Adam and Matt, I believe. So things have changed a little, but uh, we're still going strong. So congratulations, guys. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's an amazing achievement, and I don't know if, if we can take too much credit. Um, probably an achievement in terms of endurance more than anything else. Um, <laughs> and if anyone's been with us from, from you know, back in the day, it's, it's as much an achievement for them, I think. <laughs> more so, probably. Uh, how many episodes have we done? Uh, we should go back and count. As a three well, of us, 50 or so? I can't even remember when you started, to be honest. Must be close to 50. Yeah, I mean, it's not 50. Yeah, I'm sure we can check, but yeah, it has been quite a few now. We've been going pretty solidly for some time and may it continue. Um, I, yeah, I was just saying to the guys before we came online that uh, this is my last night in France. I'm heading back to South Africa. I've had a great time at the World Cup, but all good things must come to an end. So, yeah, I'll be back supporting the box from back home in Cape Town. Um, without further ado, let's get into the week's matches. So the first match was on Wednesday uh, afternoon. Uruguay hosted Namibia. Um, I think Uruguay were the favourites by quite some distance, but then the, in the end, they won 36-26. Andrew, did you manage to watch this or check out the highlights? I did, and I had a few Uruguayans in my um, fantasy team, so... I was watching it with some interest. Um, the hooker seems to have uh, made a really good impact. Hermann Kessler. Um, he's a, a household name from the previous World Cup. Um, yep. And he's been really good. And their, their fly-off, Echeverry, is good. The Arata, the, the, I think he was our key player for them in our uh, previews. And he's really coming into some good form and showing what he can do. Um, but... I I really did expect this to be a more one-sided result. Um, Uruguay have looked much stronger than Namibia so far, so I think it's really a really a, a kudos to Namibia for I mean scoring twenty-six points against them and keeping it to such a small margin. 
Um, and they, the, the Namibians weren't helped by their own discipline. They had a, a red card and two yellows. So, you know, that's that's never easy for any team. So to come that close to getting a result uh, was, yeah, a good performance by them. Yeah, I was um, in the stadium. It was in Leon for this, and I had a Namibian shirt on. So I was really, you know, uh, giving full support to Namibia. And it was such a good start. I think uh, Mouton or... Uh, scored an intercept try right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So things were looking really, really good. I mean, just after halftime, it was 20 through 12. But then, like you say, the discipline just started going. And then uh, towards the end, just struggling to hold on. And 36-26, like you say, uh, probably closer than most of us would have thought and even put on our super brews. But um, at least uh, Namibia, I think these were the first their first tries of the tournament. So... It had been a hard grind until this point, like trying to get a try against some of the bigger teams, but uh, nice to see them at, at least do a bit better. I think they might have scored against Italy, actually, but it is their last game. Um, there's been a bit of controversy about how they finished all four of their games before some teams had even played their third game. Um, I think the scheduling has improved in terms of that, but it's just it, someone was going to have to be in their position. Mm-hmm. I think this was the the highest score they've they've had at a World Cup ever, something like that. Uh, yeah. So I mean, it was you know for for them very good good performance. I think you know fair to acknowledge that for them. Um, you know, yeah. as as sad as you were, they didn't pull it off. Um, you know, it still at least showed that they're playing playing some good rugby. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's I suppose it's the same story as for all tier two teams, just not getting enough regular like top tier exposure, you just really are going to struggle um, to put it all together. Um, you've got like a semi and uh, semi-professional team and things like that. Yeah. I mean, guys like uh, Tian Swanepoel, who's one of the few professional players, you know, pretty much making his debut in the warm-up matches. So obviously not able to get that team cohesion. We can hope that these T2 nations will get more game time, but I don't know if it's going to happen well, anytime soon. This World League, it's looking obviously very unlikely. Um, right. And I think that's hopefully that's the one big takeaway from this World Cup is that it's showing that you know you can't be taking matches away from tier two teams. You have to give them more. Um, and you know, like the fact that you know a lot of people are saying you know we won't see Portugal play a tier two or tier one nation until twenty thirty one and outside of the World Cup, like which is a bit ridiculous, considering how yeah. well they've played. Yeah, and we'll we'll get into the Portugal game in just a moment. Before we get there. Um, on Thursday night, Japan played Samoa. They won 28-22. Uh, this was in Toulouse. I was also fortunate enough to be there for that game. Uh, it looked pretty one-sided in the first half. Japan were winning. They were up 17-8. Um, and then Ben Lam got a red card. But Samoa still managed to mount a mini comeback and finished 28-22. But uh, yeah, Japan, I think most of us expected Japan to win, except for Ant, maybe. Antonio, you you were saying Samoa to make the playoffs before the tournament started. So, are you disappointed overall in Samoa's performance so far? Yeah, very much so. I mean, I think like you know they had a, a reasonable Pacific campaign, and then you know that that result against Ireland where they were you know pushing for the win at the death. Um, and I think they've got a pretty strong ro- roster on paper, and it's I would definitely say it's been a a disappointing campaign. Um, you know, 29 wasn't good for them either. So it's, it's, yeah, I suppose 
one was just asking one must ask questions about the state of Simone rugby in general. If they're just not coming to the party in the way that um, Fiji certainly are, and even um, Tonga to an extent. Yeah, yeah I was disappointed. Sorry, Andrew. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say I was disappointed not to see Sopoanga. I think he got an injury in the first match, um, mm-hmm. and he was only on the bench in that game, so he hasn't played this whole tournament and they have one last game against um england to hopefully improve and show us what they made up yeah I, yeah but i mean i don't see their discipline being enough to offset england um although england are three and, right so we don't know we don't know what team yeah. england are going to put out they're probably going to put out a sub-strength team um so there's an opportunity there uh, but yeah, these these red cards. Um, it was a yellow upgraded to a red for a shoulder to the head, and there's yeah, they just keep coming this tournament. We we knew they would, but um, yeah, teams are just still not getting this right, uh, and there's just rank inconsistency as well with how these things are applied. Um, we'll get to that with the Springboks game, I'm sure. I don't know about that. I feel like it's I'm maybe it's just I'm being very analytical about it, but I feel like it's relatively able to predict where, which way it's going. Like, for example, in the Springbok game again, not to jump ahead, but I thought those were both going to stage just penalties. And then they did. And I, I only think, think it's like, got a little bit consistent. It felt like those... I, I agree that those should both still just be penalties, but I don't feel like they've been ref that way so far. I feel like it's just been an en- entry-level yellow card for every every head contact um with mitigation and then it just goes to to the bunker. I don't I don't remember or recall seeing a high or head contact outside of the Springbok game being given just as a penalty. Everything else has been at least a yellow. Yeah, I suppose even that one against Jamie Ritchie, um, which you know had him ruled out was was still a yellow. But even then I'd say there was probably less mitigation there than in the Springbok ones. But yes, I mean, I, I hear yeah. that point. Not, not. I'm not arguing Ben and, Lambs. Yeah. Um, his his seemed like a straight up read. So yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But in general, yeah, yeah. I think sometimes that sort of low degree of danger, which they use just for penalties, is very, very subjective, and it's hard to see, especially when you slow it down to like a frame on frame, to see that sort of level of danger. So those ones are hard yeah. to predict. To predict, but I think it's gotten a bit better as the tournament progressed. Yeah, I suppose it's similar to what happened in 2019. You know, there was uh, similar there. There was a lot of cards front and the crest kind of dialed in their, their, their level of danger, I suppose, that, that counts for, for a red card. Um, you know, but I think like it's probably linked to uh, like poor technique and coaching. You know, you're seeing like in South Africa, Ireland, and none of us, none of the teams where you would say have got the strongest coaches have had any red cards. I mean, I don't even know if South Africa has yellow cards yet, to be fair, you know. Um, I could be wrong, but definitely not for foul play. If anything, it's just for repeated infringements in the red zone or something, which is a very different type of card. Yeah, it's just... Uh, yeah. didn't Ethan de Kruert got a card, eh? Yeah, but so, that's why we yeah, said, I, 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 say, I said t- teams with, with good coaches. Okay, coaches, okay. That's, that's got exactly got proving my point. Australia and <laughs> They're not in that. They're not in that category. <laughs> so who's in that category? Us, Ireland. 
France. Uh, yeah. France. And that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because they're the teams with the only teams with proper and probably Wales. I mean they do have a proper coach. They just don't have you know, <laughs> a lot of talent. Proper rugby players, yeah. So I think we yeah, got a, we got our episode title there. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. All right. Well, swiftly moving along to the team that looked very swift themselves on Friday evening and probably um, surprised us all with the magnitude of the scoreline. The All Blacks beat Italy 96-17. The final score is a a last-minute try by Italy made it look slightly better than it even was. Um, This was just one-way traffic almost the whole way through. Did you, I love that uh, you're well, calling like yeah. an, a seventy-point gap slightly better. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I was rewatching the hi- I was rewatching the highlights and watching Garbisi nail a conversion from the corner in like the eighty-third minute. You know, nothing to play for. And I was like, hey, you know, that takes some skill. Like when there's absolutely nothing to play for, but he still nails the. Play. Are you Are you um, saying you wished he was playing for us? Uh, well, we kicked pretty well. I was probably my loudest cheers on uh, last night were for uh, Lavoque's conversions. So, yeah, I, really <laughs> I mean, I, 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 it definitely was the case case where I was watching as well, and I asked my mates who in the stadium, and they they didn't explicitly say yes, but they didn't say no. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I, I tried to make sure I was as loud as I could be for sure. Um, but yeah, without jumping ahead to that, this 96-17, uh, I don't even know how many tries, uh, but yeah, quite a performance from the All Blacks. What stood out to you guys, Andrew? Do you want to go first? Sure. I did not see that magnitude of a win coming out. Like you said, I don't think anyone did, but I think I had the All Blacks by an optimistic 54 or something like that. So I was expecting about a 60-point game with maybe one try from the Italians, but as you say, it was just one-way traffic, and I think it was a, a simultaneous. Just the All Blacks roared back into, you know, some actually good rugby, and Italy just capitulated. Like the Italians are, are better than that, and I think we shouldn't. I think this is a bit of an anomaly result. I don't think it should take away from you know the development development that they have made in the last couple of years. But geez, that was just nothing short of embarrassing for them. Yeah, no, it was. Uh, I mean, the biggest loss since what, like two thousand and two or something. I mean, it, it was bigger, bigger loss than than most of the tier two teams. Or tier two teams are taking. You know? Yeah. Um, it, it's really problematic, I would say. Um, I don't really know, like. Yeah, I think. What you say about it, but I mean, it was just a, I, that, I, that's a, it was a bad loss. It it really looked like the Italian defending was just non-existent not interested like right from the beginning they after they slipped the first couple of tackles in the first few tries it almost looked like they had given up already and i think you know in a way the italian style just doesn't go well against the all blacks when they're playing like as well as they are you know the italians like to throw it around and a bit exciting themselves but new zealand on their day are like one of the best if not the best at that sort of style so yeah, when it clicks for the All Blacks against a team who's not interested in defending, then you get this sort of scoreline, I guess. Um, yeah. But like you say, it's crazy that like this Italian team beat Australia at the end of last year, and now they're losing, like almost taking a hundred to the All Blacks. Like that sort of difference is just crazy. And the All Blacks, I mean, like I said, they did they did hit a bit of a purple patch, and they they also went full out for this game. They 
they people were saying like is there a chance now that Italy could beat the All Blacks and they've just completely <laughs> annihilated any any uh, suspicions that that might have been the case. Um, Adi Savio was an absolute beast, as we know he he can be. Both you know, I had um, both the wings, Jordan and Talia, in my fantasy team, and that was a a great call. I didn't have Richie Moonga, uh, who nailed most of the conversions. Um, did, did he actually miss any? I can't remember. He might have missed one or two. I think he didn't have a hundred percent. Yeah, so yeah. Mostly, yeah, mostly That's, got them. Geez, I mean, huge, huge result. Uh, I haven't seen All Blacks play that well in Italy that badly in a long, long time. Yeah, well, I mean, twenty years odd. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's an interesting <laughs> one because it's like, how much do you actually read into this game? You know, are All Blacks suddenly the World Cup favorites, or you know, it's, that's kind of the question. Like, are oh, Ireland meant to be super scared now? That's the real question, yeah. I think yeah. as you say, it's like the All Blacks just sometimes get in this mood where um, they just are unplayable. And I think particularly against weak defensive teams, you know, I think like the All Blacks always have that ability to put away teams far better than, than anyone else. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think Ireland are probably reading into it too much. I think, you know, it's just one of those things that like, they're like, we'll put 80 points in Romania. Um but, you know, that doesn't mean anything against Ireland. And I think it's the same kind of thing. The, the Italians have decided not to defend. Um, yeah. and, and that's probably more, more a statement of that than it is a statement on um, the All Blacks suddenly being the best team at the World Cup. Yeah, yeah I, I think that's fair. Um, Phil has a good point. I think that's... Uh, Phil, just on your point about the Italian gameplay and their style not being good against the All Blacks. You know, if you're going to throw it around and have unstructured play, All Blacks going to punish you every single time. So a team like Ireland or the Springboks, who can starve New Zealand of opportunities through excellent structured defence, it's just a completely different ball game. It's like a different sport. So, sorry, I interrupted you. Yeah, uh, I agree. But uh, I was just going to say, so this was Brazil and Jordi Barrett's first... Um, first game of the tournament. So this is really New Zealand coming into full strength now. Saying whether Ireland should be scared of this or not, or if Ireland are even going to play them. We'll get into some permutations later. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's definitely just about the most New Zealand could have done to, you know, up their own confidence going forward into the knockouts. Um, yeah, so let's move on then to Saturday's games. So the earliest Saturday game, was Argentina against Chile. So the first uh, South American derby that we've seen. Um, and Argentina... First ever South I think, American derby at a World Cup. At a World Cup, yes. Um, I think, unsurprisingly, Argentina sort of quite easily dealt with Chile. The final score was 59-5. Um, Chile, again, I think they still showed, seeing that they were sort of the one of the lowest ranked teams coming into this tournament. They still sort of showed more than a lot of people thought, but 59-5 is quite a one-sided uh, scoreline. What did you guys make of this game? Well, I mean, considering it's Chile's first World Cup and Argentina are in theory a proper tier one nation, like that's a really good scoreline. And I think, you know, they haven't been, uh, I suppose, sorry, England did, did pump them quite a lot. Um, but I think that, yeah, I think it probably says more about Argentina than it says about Chile, um, unfortunately. 
I think Argentina's just aren't that good this World Cup for some bizarre reason. Yeah, I think you've nailed it on the head there. Argentina just underperformed. And Chile have by no means embarrassed themselves this World Cup. I think they've become a bit of a fan favourite because uh, you know, their, their, their players are quite passionate and they've been stringing good phases of rugby together, even if they haven't been rewarded on the scoreboard. So I think everyone's enjoyed having them at the World Cup, but yeah, this was a very one-sided affair. Yeah, I think um, their fans also have been a lot of fun. Um, the one Chile game that I was at uh, on the trams on the way to the stadium, they were the life of the party. So I think the locals have also taken to them quite well. And um, yeah, Argentina, to be fair for this game, did rotate their uh, starting lineup quite a lot. We had Sanchez starting for the first time, a lot of players like Bofelli and the other big names not playing. But um, yeah, as you guys said, Argentina haven't really shown too much yet. So they have a big game coming up again against uh i think it's japan so we'll see how they fare in that one um probably yeah, one of the most exciting yeah. yeah exactly i think one of the games of the weekend uh was the match played after that one which was fiji against georgia um perhaps uh people were underestimating georgia coming into this one given fiji's impress impressive performances against wales um and australia but final score was 17 12 to fiji uh fiji sort of making it seem a lot more difficult than perhaps it needed to be especially after a, uh, a first half where they didn't score at all and it was 9-0 um yeah are fiji the real deal or are they going to struggle you know if they have to come up against England in the quarterfinals. I mean, it's a weird thing to say, considering Fiji beat England a couple of weeks ago. But, um, yeah, I think, like, you know, one needs to acknowledge that this Fiji side is still growing into their kind of development. And they're, they're definitely not the polished article at this stage. Um, you know, they still are going to have their poor uh, performances every now and then. So, hopefully, this was just the one kind of blip. And then it was just Georgia maybe was able to make them uncomfortable. But yeah, I mean, it was a lot tighter. I mean, obviously way tighter than I think most people were expecting. And it, it, you know, there was definitely some dodgy refing um, that a lot of people were taking umbrage against. It would have worked in Georgia's favor. Yeah, the Georgians, I think, managed to upset the set piece quite a lot, scrums and lineouts. And that's a little bit of a regression from Fiji's Point of view we were talking i think it was last week or the week before how impressed we'd been that fiji are now you know they have a strong set piece as well as their fijian flair and just their incredible creativity and tech uh, they have their defensive structures and set pieces now sorted but uh yeah they showed a little bit of a regression there and maybe it was just new combinations or something like that so i can't remember exactly what the team sheets looked like looked like but uh, yeah, uh, a little bit disappointing from them, but I don't think at all it should dent their confidence. You know, and mentioned they beat England not very long ago, so uh, they still have good form and and can go a long way in this tournament. Look, I think the most telling thing was that the Georgians at one point it was a probably seventy sixty five minutes or so. The Georgians have made twenty three dominant tackles, which firstly, just how the hell do you do make dominant tackles against the Georgians? Secondly, the Georgians had only made three <laughs> dominant tackles themselves. Um, so it really just shows that you know how the, the Georgians were 
putting so much emphasis into defense um, and really stopping the, the, the Fijians getting any kind of momentum. And I wonder if like, you know, maybe the Fijians kind of knowing that if they got five points, they were into the, the, the quarterfinals, we're maybe playing for the bonus point a bit early. Um, but, you know, going into the halftime, nine nil down um, was, was very worrying. And, and even then, like you're talking about the lineups, you know, a lot of their star players, Rodrandras to Sova, all had pretty quiet games. Um, so yeah, definitely worrying signs to an extent for the Fijians. Um, but yeah, they you know they've got a one more game against Portugal, um, so they should be able to bounce back. One would hope. Um, and you know, then it's a very interesting game, them versus England in the in the in the quarterfinals. Yeah, I think. Uh... Anything other than a, a victory over Portugal would be um, probably be the biggest shock that we would have seen in, the, in this tournament so far. And then, like you say, that uh, that win against England in the warm-ups proving to be very pivotal, seeing that it's most likely going to be a quarterfinal matchup. Um, okay, so next up we had a bit more of a one-sided contest, so Scotland against Romania. Uh, Romania, we saw, have struggled in this tournament quite a lot, perhaps uh, more than almost anyone else. This uh, 84-0 uh, scoreline was um, mostly oh, four tries from Darcy Graham. I thought I had pulled up a blinder by captaining him in my fantasy team, only to realize everyone had done exactly the same thing. So I was disappointed by that. But uh, yeah, yeah 84-0, uh, one-way traffic. Just uh, again, Scotland doing what they needed to do, but doesn't really change too much other than, you know, put their points difference on a similar level to, you know, Ireland and South Africa. Yeah, it's it's tough for Romania. I mean, they've had a lot of coaching upheaval and things like that, but yeah, I mean, they really haven't been particularly good this World Cup. Um, so, you know, one, one does feel sorry for them. Um, but I think they kind of came in with that kind of mindset. I don't think they were coming here planning to upset too many apple carts. These Romanians that I was chatting to um, at the, the Safri game, they were pretty comfortable that we were going to put that kind of performance on them and they weren't exactly upset at the end of the game when the scoreline was, was what it was. I think Romania are regretting qualifying for this tournament at this point. <laughs> Uh, they've really taken some beatings by by the different sides. Uh, I was I was really impressed by Scotland. I mean, it wasn't their it wasn't their first string side. They rested a whole lot of players, and Darcy Graham might be one of the only players to retain his his spot um, for the big game against Ireland, which is you know, really looming large in our pool. Um, but he was, I mean, he was phenomenal. And there was this comment. Um, and I know you reacted quite strongly to it. Someone posted, you know, Darcy Graham is just a perfect example of, you know, how this game is for all shapes and sizes. And I think you you said this was a slight against coloured wingers with scrum caps because <laughs> South Africa has been doing this for you. I, I, I can't take the credit for the comment, but I fully agree with it. <laughs> okay, wasn't you? <laughs> but yeah, it wasn't yeah. you. I mean, exactly. Like, he's, he's just, a, you know... A, Northern Hemisphere chasing Colby. Uh, exactly. You know, like, he hasn't been doing anything under 14 wings from the SK Warmers haven't been doing for as many years. Yeah. Maybe for Scotland. Yeah, it's a novelty to them, but it's, you know, very, very common to us. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, yeah, Apple was setting these, these. Yeah, exactly. 
So Romania's last game is against Tonga. So to be fair, that's their easiest game. Not an easier one, of course. Um, but given that they got put into such a difficult group, it's their most winnable game. Um, like you said, Andrew, it's been a really tough tournament. Maybe they wouldn't want to be there. But from the sounds of it, this might be their last one in a while because they're on a very downward path. So perhaps, you know, just happy to be there um, and take it in their stride. But the, we had, there was one more match on Saturday uh, that was Australia against Portugal. And this was quite, quite an eventful match because Portugal took the lead um, and they were looking relatively good. Uh, but... Obviously, the final score being 34-14. Still probably closer than a lot of people thought. You know, just a 20-point margin in it. But uh, Australia, just despite still having a mathematical chance of qualifying, just it hasn't been their World Cup, has it? No. We've talked at, we've talked at length about this, just how much has gone wrong in selections, in performances. Um, and yeah, they got a win here, but it wasn't that convincing, as you say. They were losing at some point for, uh, well, for a fair period, and Portugal were in the game until you know just after half time, I think. Um, there were a couple of couple of good performances. I mean, Angus Bell. I keep forgetting that he's only twenty two years old, and he's already such a phenomenal player for the Aussies. So, I mean, that they, they have you know had some 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 good moments during the World Cup from individuals, but just as a whole, to to not put Portugal away properly when they're 16th ranked in the world is it's just not good enough if you're a Wallaby supporter, I think. No, completely. I mean, this is Portugal's first World Cup in a while. Same thing, half their players aren't professional. Like, the fact that the Wallabies aren't putting the same kind of scorelines that we are on Romania and things like that is, yeah, very poor on Australia, to be honest. Um, and, you know, yes, sure, they're having a lot of coaching um, a lot of uh, coaching and selection issues, but still, like, you would, you know, it wasn't exactly like we were playing our first team against Romania and we were still able to put 70 points on them quite comfortably. There should be City players in Australia good enough to put 70 points on Portugal. No offence to Portugal. No offence indeed. Yeah, I think... Uh... Portugal still have their last game against Fiji, as we said earlier. So, they, I think they've they've shown you know more than most people would have thought. So perhaps they have one more surprise left. Uh, as we said, it would be a huge shock, but it it should be an interesting one. Um, yeah. So then moving on to the final game of the weekend, uh, which was last night's game, South Africa against Tonga. So. The full-time score was 49-18. Uh, South Africa obviously got the four-try bonus point just after halftime, so that was really, really important. Um, I think the kicking performance also meant that the scoreline was pretty decent, along with Tonga's miss kicks. But in the end, performance-wise... Yeah, it wasn't... wasn't... Perfect. And I think it's kind of talks to Tonga just being able to a team that kind of takes you out of your comfort zone a little bit. Um, you know, I think it's the scoreline's probably around where at least where I expected it to be. Um, but Tonga is also that team that makes it uncomfortable for you, they hit you hard. You you're not gonna get into your rhythm. So it's, you know, I'm not upset with that performance, you know, again, considering it was mostly our second string players. So we're not gonna see many of these guys in the playoffs. So 
Um, I think the main focus was just to get through without any major injuries. Obviously, we've lost Mapunfi, which is problematic, but not critical, considering that's the one position where we probably have lots of depth. And Pollard made it through, played, you know, kind of as well as you could hope, um, given his lack of game time. Um, you know, and both of our kickers kicked all their goals. So overall, I'm I'm not upset uh, by any means with, with the, the performance. No, I, th- I think Tonga Tonga really got themselves up for this game, especially in the the opening stages. Uh, they had plans. They worked cleverly at the at the set piece, um, especially the lineouts. They had a few clever little moves that I think they kept for this game. They used their weapon, like their sole weapon, which is Ben Tamefuna. Like every single time there was <laughs> a ball of nine, he was taking it and had the little lineout moves. Also trying to put him through onto. Uh, Kobus Reinach and Dion Ferri, two of the smaller guys. So, I mean, they were smart and I think they, they planned well for this game and they really came out hard, but they were never going to be able to keep that up against a, a relentless Springbok side. Um, but we did have issues in um, discipline. We gave away quite a few early penalties and also had a few very silly elementary mistakes. Um, Vili not being able to catch that ball in the, in the, uh, goal area nearly giving the cross kick to to the winger was pretty dreadful um and a few other knock-ons and forward passes and other avoidable issues but on the whole as you say you know, we're not going to see many of these guys in at least the starting teams for the playoffs so i think they acquitted themselves well came away with a good result um yeah I, I'm, I'm not unhappy yet there seems to be a lot of people who are unhappy with the springboks i, I don't I don't, I don't really understand that. Well, we beat Tonga by as much as Ireland did, Scotland did. So, you know, like again, that's weird to be to complain about it. I mean, we can criticize Billy just to trigger Phil, uh, <laughs> but I don't think I think Billy's kind of played his his way out of the Springbok team. That's a, that's a tough one for me to hear. Uh, um, that was right in front of where he dropped the ball, uh, which was uh, not a pretty sight. But um, he also did score that try, you know, also right there in front of me. So that was yeah. Well, nice will, will Havili definitely needs to retire? I'm sorry, but if you're getting bounced by Billy, like <laughs> is that that's probably Billy's first, you know, bounce of his career. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you gotta take 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 them all. Yeah, it's, 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 it's definitely not no not matter the, who the flower is. It's not the, the it's not the finish you expect. Vili used to be doing a steam rolling and yeah. opening the corner. No, I, I first thought Vili yeah, hadn't got I, there. I thought he was just going to get taken straight out. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I had no confidence. Up. I mean, I, he had all the space and time yeah. in the world and, you know, younger Vili uh, would have cantered uh, him, but uh, it shows uh, he's kind just... of slowed down a little bit. <laughs> ah, I think we, we're struggling with Phil's internet there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you surprised me. Oh, we're getting fast-forwarded full. Is he back? I think he's back. No? Uh, Is he back? Shit. There you go. We got you again. Okay. What's this post-full Wi-Fi? What is this nonsense? That... I was surprised. Yeah. Let me try and move around. Shit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> let's, talk, let's talk about some yeah. other stuff then. So I mean, and, and do you reckon? Yeah. You reckon Dwilly's, uh got fifteen on his back for the quarters, semis, and finals? 
I think so. I mean, he definitely offers. I mean, Villy's key attribute has always been his his playmaking. Um, and you know, I've, we we can touch on this a little bit later. Um, the various backline combinations and their relative uh, try scoring merits, but um, yeah, Villy, I don't think has been bringing enough to the um try scoring table uh, to offset his errors at the moment. Um, whereas Willemse is just you know he's playing very physical rugby and I think this, I mean the fullback role suits him I've said many times that he's not a fly off but from the fullback he's able to beat the first defender on the carry and he's just he's a warrior in a way that I don't think Billy is um, you know he's able to fight that mid- bit hard he's a bit more physical um, and he's just that little bit tougher um, and not give up and uh, that's a terrible um, explanation, but I think he just fights that a little bit harder for you know his family or whoever else uh, Rusty's using to motivate him that week. <laughs> I think uh, I think to illustrate your point there, if I think about both Dwilly and um, Villy's two memorable defensive moments against the All Blacks in recent times, there's the uh, getting run over by Shannon Frizzell for Villy. And then there's the track back and the last gasp tackle on Caleb Clark for Damien Willem. So like grabbing him like just by the jersey and like dragging him down and saving the try. Um, now those two moments stand out for me and I think illustrates your point about Willem says just, you know, he has other, other qualities to, to offer. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. You know, like Willie's not making that, that track back. He's not fighting hard enough for that moment. Um, whereas um Villasa is. Your Phil's hurting. Yeah, uh, I think my connection must have been affected by all this anti Billy talk. Um <laughs> just by breaking my heart over here. Um, I think one of the interesting and key things, especially given Pollard's strong performance, if we decide that Pollard is our starting 10, then I think it becomes more important to play Billy. Um, whereas if Pollard is, I mean, if Pollard's not playing and we back Libok, then Libok 10, Valimsa 15 is more of a feasible combination for me. I think with Pollard at 10 and then Valimsa at 15, we just lack that sort of distribution. Um, I hear what you guys are saying, except when I was disconnected there, but about Billy's really lack of. Um, putting in the performance that really should earn his spot but uh, I still think yeah creativity wise uh, having Pollard without Billy and having someone like Willemser at the back will just leave us a bit too uh, short in terms of that clinicalness and in terms of that creativity close to the try line I mean I, I hear that point um, but I think my my counter and it's the same counter I have on the villains, the, the the Pollard versus Marnie debate um, is it's we're still not exactly scoring tons of tries and making tons of line breaks. Um, you know, like Villimsa was on the field. Sorry, Villy was on the field, and yeah, I mean, we he yes, he scored that one try himself, but he's not creating tries in the way that we were hoping, and neither is Lubbock. Which is why I think you know we everything we're doing that's good is still coming through the forwards. Um, 
And so I think, you know, just pick the guy that can get us down in the corners and kick the goals the best. And if that's Willemsor, that's Pollard either way. But it's, you know, let's not worry about um, trying to score tons of flair stuff through the back line because that's, you know, we've done it once against Scotland um, with the cross kick. We did it once against um, Ireland with that wide pass. But that's about it in terms of structured back line or even counter-attack plays. Um, so I think putting our eggs in that basket to the detriment by the facts of the game is just we're not getting the pay for it. Yeah, it's an interesting balancing act of what you're going for. But ultimately, I agree. Our, our game plan is not about scoring tries by you know running it through the backs, basically. Yeah, so if that's not what we're doing, then you know selecting a player that's doing or was meant to do that but isn't actually effective at it um, or hasn't been effective at it this last five or six test matches. You know, um, I, I think rather take the guy that's solider. And I think Willemse is that at the moment. Um, you know, and as I said, the Pollard-Marnie debate is it's not so much about Marnie's attacking ability or not. It's just about who can get us to the corner better, in my opinion. And I'm reading between the lines, but are you saying that's Pollard? No, I, I'm not saying that. I mean, we've only seen a couple of minutes of Pollard. Um, I think he played well, but he played a Pollard game. You know, he plays very differently to LeBoc. Um, and you could see that, you know, he was going far more 2019 style, those kind of territory gaining up and unders, which, you know, we did very well. He did three in a row and the guy sitting next to me was just booing every time he did it. And we kept turning them over and I kept being <laughs> like, really like, this is going a hundred percent according to plan. Um, <laughs> which he, he didn't really you know, understand, but, but that, that's fine. Um, so no, I was very impressed, very happy with Pollard's play. I didn't think I'd say I was impressed, but you know, for a guy that's only played you know, now, what, 60 minutes of rugby, like or 90 minutes of rugby, you can't, can't blame them. But it was noticeable to see the difference in styles. Um, but mm. you know, my counter would be we scored four tries when Pollard was in the field and three with Marnie. So, like, you know, are we scoring less tries, even if we're slightly um, less scintillating? We're still scoring points. So, like, does it really, does it really make a difference? Yeah. Yeah. Has has Marnie um, thinks is kicking because. Suddenly, he's nailing them from the left, right, and the middle. <laughs> I mean, he did that against all blacks, though. So, like, it still yeah. doesn't doesn't answer it. It doesn't give me the confidence that he's not going to do it next week. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just, so just like I'm not confident that Pollard's going to name nail four out of four next week either. To be honest, which is why I say it's whoever can kick to the corner the most consistently, because um, then at least we've got a fifty-fifty chance at scoring in fives. And Lebok is very good at that. His uh, yeah. kicking for touch is very impressive. Yeah, his line kicking yeah, has which been we, incredible because he kicks with both feet. Which, so, which is why I'm not saying like I'm anti or pro Lebok at all. It's not that's not the point of the debate. The point is just that I don't think we, you know, we're not scoring tons of points from his tries from his creative play. So, like, let's take that up, augment, and let's examine the guys on the other attributes, which is goal kicking and line kicking, and make the decision okay. based off that. But if you had to put your head on the line, what do you expect to see and what would you prefer to see for the quarterfinal? Or does it depend? I, I mean, I think it's a, the it's so much depends on the makeup of the bench. But I reckon we'll probably still see Lebok playing in the quarterfinal just because he's 
got more match day experience at the moment. He's you know match fit in a way that Pollard isn't. Um, but yeah, I'll be bummed if we lose because of car kicking as a result <laughs> of that. Sure, <laughs> Andrew, what about you? Yeah, I was also wondering with the Willemse versus Vili uh, about the impact on the bench because we've all, we've talked we've talked about how great a number twenty three Willemse is because of all the options he gives us for a six two or a seven one <laughs> split. Um, so if we do want to give Pollard game time, he's going to have to be on the bench. But then he he probably shouldn't be our only bench options. Then you've probably got to go. 5-3, the traditional split, and that means that I think Willemse gets 15. Um, yeah, I, I I think we should be backing Marnie still. I think he's a confidence player. If you don't back him, you may as well just like drop him from the squad for the tournament. Um, just, this is a rotation and option to give Pollard game time, but I think uh, the coaches need to continue backing Marnie with with Pollard on the bench. So I think we've got to go back to five threes, but well, I don't know. I don't know if we're going to go five three though. I, I could see, I mean, Burns on the bench, Pollard, you know, it's, it's, it's really just, I mean, Pollard and, and Libok just neither of them tick like enough positional boxes. I mean, obviously Libok's got a fair bit of just, um, fullback experience, but not, um, not a test level by any means. So it's, yeah, it's a tricky one to try fit them. I don't think we need to fit them both in the same 23, though. I think you pick your horse and you back it. Um, and Pollard's there is more of an insurance policy now, just like I think I'm coming to the squatters. You know, he's not suddenly going to start ahead of Creel. Um, but it does give us a more experienced, solid backup option. You know, like if Creel went down, starting Moody in a quarterfinal is a big risk, just like uh, Lubbock going down, I am not comfortable playing Willemse at 10. So I think it's, I reckon they're both more kind of insurance policies than they are planning to assert the starters. Do you so I don't think there's any need to rush either of them into the match day 23 for the quarterfinal is basically my point. Do you think that if Krill in, got injured in the warm-ups that uh, Am would start or Moody would start with Am on the bench? Because Am hasn't played for, you know, yeah. months. You mean like for the quarterfinal? Yeah, if that happened in the quarterfinal, Jesse got injured in the warm-ups. Right. No, I think they go moody. Yeah, but it depends. It depends if it's like, yeah, next week or like for the final. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean just, that's no, that's really tough. This is the yeah. It's the weird thing with both him and Pollard about not being named in the initial squad. We've run out of games to give them any game time to be prepared. So yeah, we'll mm. see how it goes. Um, quick word on Sia for his fiftieth cap as captain. Um, yeah, yeah, Andrew. Big, big round of applause. <laughs> uh, I mean, he he didn't have the most uh, standout performance as an individual, but um, yeah, he's been a phenomenal leader for the Springboks. Uh, I don't know much. I don't know if we can say too much more than that. Really, he's just been an awesome totem for for the game in South Africa and uh, such a sportsman on and off the field and. Yeah, great to see him get to 50 caps and I think he'll be at... Well, how many more games do we have? Three. Well, three. <laughs> 53 by the end of the tournament and raise the World Cup for the second time. Yeah. No, I mean, it's it's he's been an unbelievable revelation. Um, I think there were a lot of people 
questioning his selection of captain. Um, you know, I don't think that's completely unjustified. Um, but you know, he has really proven to just be an absolute legend of South African rugby. Um, you know, kind of globally respected and loved. And I think he's just his honesty that he's brought to that position and candidness um, is just so appreciated. Yeah, I think for for all of us, if you had said how amazing he has taken up the role and responsibility of a, as a captain, as what he has done, we would have all been surprised, which is no slight on him. It's just he's done such a phenomenal job. So, yeah. I mean, uh, he's, he's, and, and a step up as a player, to be honest. I mean, yeah, mm. exactly. Who you, I was, I'm, you know, it's quite vocal and critical of him as a player between when he made it on the scene to kind of 2018, yeah. even 2019 ish. Um, you know, but post 2019, he's just been an absolutely indispensable player in the book setup um, as a player, let alone as a leader. I mean, I think he showed his, you know, in 2019, he really stepped up as a leader and we all saw that, but his playing abilities just continue to grow as well. And I think it just, again, speaks to his humbleness that he's always willing to work and grow and, you know, believe he can be better and work harder for the team. And the fact that he's playing the rugby he's playing now after that injury and making it to the World Cup and just slotting straight back in and putting in massive performances as a captain, as a player, massive kudos to him. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's unbelievable. I mean, he he is just the most amazing guy. Like, it's silly little anecdote, but I mean, when we we went to the Samoa Chili game to try and get tickets late, and you know, we were there like five minutes after kickoff, and Cheslin, Eben, and and Sia kind of ran past, and you know, we said, "How's it? How's it? Can we take a photo?" And Eben and Ches were like, "You know, we're but rushing." Eben's like, "Yo, I'm really late." We're like, "No, it's fine." Don't you? He's like, "No, no, actually, no." He stopped, took the camera, like took a couple of photos. He's like, no, no, the lighting's bad. Turned around. You know, it's like he put, <laughs> despite being with his family and being late for the kickoff, like he still took the time to pause and make sure that we got a good experience as fans. Um, you know, and it's, it, that's just such a small thing that just speaks so much, I don't know, my opinion of the, the, the mm. character of the guy that like, he's just really willing to give so much of himself for, for what he represents as a springbok, you know. Um, yeah. He is just a you know, truly world-class character. Hundred percent. Yeah, that, that's awesome. Um, I, yeah, I was a little bit sad from, from the realization it was brought up that this was Vili's ninetieth cap this uh, this match against Tonga yesterday. So, in all likelihood, I don't think he's going to make a hundred. Um, I think he's probably going to get phased out almost completely after this World Cup. So, you guys think there's mm. any chance that he'll he'll somehow? get a couple more games after this World Cup and get to 100 or it'll be just short? I think it's quite likely that might have been his last cap. And <laughs> wow. if we keep keep going 6-2 <laughs> or 7-1, um, <laughs> sure. and Willems is obviously, you know, he is the preferred starter. We've seen that in the country games like now. Like, yeah, that, that very easily could have been his last cap, I think. Um, which is, yeah, not to take anything away from him. I mean, he's been an unbelievable servant and so South African rugby, um, you know. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's thirty-four now, so you you would feel that this World Cup is his his swan song as an international and again makes a it, it it well it could well have been his last cap, but um, but yeah. still going what sixth on the all-time South African list or something, you know? So it's 
Eighth, good, I think, good, yeah. good, good record. Like, you know, you know, can't take anything away from the guy. Like, he's had a great career and probably far more than I think many people ever would have given him credit for when he was a, you know, flary wing jawling with the Griquas and then even the Cheetahs when he was a fantasy goal player. You know, so, like, yeah. kudos to him. Mm, fair enough. Talking of um, old Springboks in unfamiliar positions, um, I thought Dion Ferry went really, really well. Um, I had him as my defensive boosted player in fantasy, so I was paying special attention to <laughs> his work, especially off the ball. But his line-out throwing was exceptional. His, uh, his gameplay was good. He managed to nab a try. Um, I think he was man of the match officially. And uh, just, just all around good to see that backup option. And now that we know we're getting Lukanya Am and not Joseph Dweber in for Mapimpi, um, are you guys expecting to, uh, and I mean, to follow that up, Marcel, uh, I keep saying Marcel Kutsia, Marco van Staden, um, <laughs> was was a bit underwhelming this time around, especially line outside, although he did score a nice little try for himself as well. Um, you guys expecting to see Bongi playing 70 minutes for the next three games with Dion Ferry on the bench at 16? I suppose, I reckon it'll depend how the game's going. Um, they'll probably try and limit Bongi's minutes if they can. But yeah, it was good to see Dweber, um, sorry, Dion Ferry being <laughs> technically a lot better this game than he was off the bench against Ireland. Uh, you know, nailing all of his throws um, was obviously a, a really good start, but also, you know, just at scrum times, which was a, quite a tough scrum examiner. It shouldn't mm. like the um, the Tongans can scrum. Um, so to see him come through that comfortably was, was a really good sign. Um, getting his timing right after the, you know, those couple of early shoves against uh, Ireland. So, yeah. yeah, all around a good showing from Faree. Um, you know, does he have the heft to, to really be a dominant scrumming force against the bigger teams? We, I suppose we'll still get to see. Um, but, you know, definitely a, a good sign. I was pretty impressed just overall. Um, like you guys have said, pretty much ticked all the boxes, I think. Obviously, it's not against Ireland. It's against a team like Tonga. But Tonga is a big physical test. I mean, scrumming against someone like Tonga Fern is no easy task. So I think we've got to be happy with what we saw from him. Um, Look, I think the, the thing with doing free is like his general play was never going to be the problem. You know, like we've got quite a few guys that are, are relatively lightweight in the back row. I mean, even Khaleesi is only, what, 105. Marcus and Sardin's not big. Quach is small. You know, so the, the, the general play was never the problem. The problem is is the technical impact of scrum and line-out time. Um, and, you know, we saw that, you know, three costly errors in the last five minutes against Ireland. Um, so th- that's really going to be the focus for Dunfrey is getting getting those aspects right. And I think now that he knows he's the first-choice hooker, hopefully he can focus on this flat-out in training. And if there's ever a better place to get uh, match training as a front rower, it's just an African scrum practice. So, um, yeah, hopefully with a two-week break now, um, he can really just sharpen up that completely and really dom- uh, uh, solidify, sorry, his um, set-piece set piece skills. So when he does get to the big games, he's, he's sorted there because his open play is, is brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess the... Here. For me, it wasn't so bad. Uh, I'm still on holiday, so a nine o'clock match was not so bad. But Ant, I know you've 
had some complaints with these, especially on a Sunday night, 9 p.m. kickoffs. Do you want to elaborate on that? Yeah, it's just, I mean, I don't know if it's just my old age catching up with me, but, you know, you kind of, I was falling fully asleep during the Ireland uh, New Zealand game. Maybe that's a comment on how boring, sorry, not the Ireland New Zealand, but the New Zealand game. There's a comment on how boring a 96 17 match is. As much as I would disagree. Yeah. <laughs> no, I would much rather yeah I put it this way I wasn't falling asleep during the South Africa Island game I was definitely falling asleep um, during all of the 96 mil games that we've seen over the last couple of weeks so you know, make of that what you will Ian Foster um, I think the world quite comfortably knows what they would prefer um, but yeah on a weekday it's 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 tough eh? um, like that there definitely was a much more muted vibe around the bars that I was at um, like I think and I think it's fortunately not something we have to deal with going forward. I think we've kind of ticked all of the, the edge of the mountain on the Sunday games. Like the, the quarterfinals and finals are all on Friday, Saturday, as far as I'm aware. Um, should make things a little bit more palatable. I know they're all 9 p.m. games, but I, I think they might be Saturday, Sunday. So don't get your hopes up too fast, Ant. Um, Andrew, how about you? Are you all feeling the same sort of pressures with these late kickoffs? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to watch regardless, right? But um, it does feel like you you just wake up a bit with less energy the next morning, especially if you want to enjoy a few along with the rugby, you know what I mean? Um, so you do feel it from that point of view, uh, especially on a Sunday. It's it's a little bit inconvenient, but you know, the scheduling for this World Cup has been, yeah, uh, questionable. Let's say, let's say that. <laughs> I think it is a very French thing, which things just seem to start later here. Like if you wake up early and you want to go find a, a breakfast or a coffee, like a, most, a lot of places. Oh, I don't know, until like 10 a.m. It was a nightmare. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it's like things start a couple of late hours later, but they also end a couple of hours later. So, hmm. you know, 9, 9 p.m. on a Sunday, I think, is their usual. It's not just for the World Cup. Uh, like well, it's, I mean, if anything, it's... Everything. Quite quite early. I mean, most French games we watch are like ten o'clock. So at least it's not that. I mean, yeah, yeah that's finishing good. it midnight on a Sunday or a Thursday. That's that's quite a shift. Yeah, especially yeah, if you're um, doing it every single week, four nights a week, like we are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not 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 so good probably for the work environment. But you know, it's World Cups only come yeah. around once every four years. Yeah, like the next two are not going to be great from the schedule for to be there in Australia and America. So, you know, we're probably going to be watching games at two in the morning, like the Aussies are at the moment. Wow. It, could, it well, could always be worse. It could always be worse. Um, let's look forward a bit to the final week of the group stage. I don't think we need to go through every game, but just to highlight the important ones, especially from a South African perspective, in particular, Ireland, Scotland. So, basically, South Africa are not yet mathematically safe in terms of their spot in the quarterfinal. There is still one quite strange permutation where Scotland can win with a bonus point and Ireland can win with a bonus point and Scotland can win by, what is it, 21 points or something? And South Africa can still get eliminated. So in that unlikely event, (laughs) South Africa would not get through. But uh, I, I read something like the last time Scotland beat Ireland by scoring more than four tries was, you know, many years ago. I can't remember exactly. So what do you guys think? Do you think there's any chance of any skullduggery happening? Do you think Scotland have it within them to even beat Ireland at all? What do you think is going to happen in this one? 
I mean, I think Scotland could get up and beat them, but I think the Scotland winning by eight points and us going top is the far more likely scenario than Scotland somehow putting winning. What the minimum scoreline has to be 21, 41 20. Like, yeah, because Ireland need to get a bonus point, so they have to get four tries. So, um, yeah, that's I think the whole thing is obviously just very unlikely. Um, but the, the, I think the weirdest part of it is not so much just that the likeness of that, it's just that if, say, the scoreline is, um, you know, 35 20, it's an island's best interest to actually let Scotland score again, and that's the weirdest part. That Ireland, if it, if it, if the score if the score ends at thirty five twenty, Ireland go out. <laughs> so they and at that point they're incentivized to let Scotland score an extra try. The weird yeah. weird thing to think about. But no, yeah. I don't think there's any collusion or skull skullduggery. I mean, to even <laughs> suggest that is just bizarre. Yeah, my, I, I I think there is a chance that Scotland do win. I mean, they have a good side and can get themselves up and Ireland are under a lot of pressure. And it's a it's a knockout game for Scotland, basically. If they lose, they're gone. Um so yeah, yeah it's a it's a it's a really, really big game. And Scotland are coming off the back of some really good form, although again I don't think we'll see many of those players from the Romania game and you can't really read that much into a pumping of Romania. So my heart says, I mean, I'll, I'll be supporting Scotland, um, but my head says that Ireland will be still too good for them and it'll be a straightforward Ireland one, South Africa two. Yeah, Matt, I think that's what the logic says, but it it could go the other way. I mean, the Scottish side has been playing really well. They are you know, the, the next best side from the big four. Um, and... Yeah, as you say, it's it's for them. It's already the playoffs. Ireland, by definition, have to already have an eye on the next on the quarterfinal. Um, whereas Scotland, like you know, they've only got one focus at the moment. So it's it's all uh, very much to play for. Um, and so I think you know Scotland could could do it. Um, whether they do it enough to give us the top of the pool, or whether they do it enough to get themselves through and I could see a situation with them winning by like three points and then obviously Ireland still go through top so mm. um, you know I, I think that the eight point is maybe quite specific and quite tough for them to get but uh, it, it's definitely going to be an exciting game yeah I think just the fact that Scotland know they have to go out and get a bonus point minimum will mean that we see a super exciting well, Scotland, Scotland don't need them at a bonus point oh, if Scotland they... just need to win by eight yeah Yes, yeah. If they keep Ireland, they just need to stop Ireland point. from getting a bonus point. Yes. Yeah. No, because the thing is, if Scott, if Ireland do get a bonus point, then Scotland need to win by twenty-one. Yes, yeah. Um, okay. Which is far less likely for them to score forty-one points against Ireland. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah. So, so, so basically, it, it's, Scotland are going to try and win like 25-15 or something. Like that's that's their play. They definitely yeah. don't need to go guns blading, kicking to the corner from the first minute. Yeah, it should be a really interesting game, though. So, and obviously, hopefully not, but still having a big effect on South Africa's uh, prospects for the quarterfinal. Um, well, I mean, it's an interesting other... thing. I mean, R- Rusty did say in the lead up to this game that he would rather be in our shoes than in Ireland's shoes. Um, oh. You know, what do you guys make of that? Do you reckon we are in the driving seat and that we've got the the most likely outcome that we can get through safe? I mean, I think so. I, yeah. I think we are there's only of the scenarios, there's only one in which we don't go through and it's really rare. Whereas like 
half the scenarios Ireland don't go through, half the scenarios uh, Scotland don't go through. Uh, I, th I think for me as Ireland, you're still where you want to be. You've beaten South Africa. You want to come top of the group. You want to go through winning all your games. You're confident of beating Scotland. The only difference is that you still have to play Scotland and South Africa finish their games. So I don't. I I, I get what he's saying, but I, I don't really agree. I think Scotland uh, Ireland will be confident enough that they're. Of course, they're not going to um, underestimate Scotland, but they'll be confident enough in their own ability that they're comfortable with what they've done so far, and that they'll top the log and probably be favourites against New Zealand. To be honest, I mean, yeah. the only counter I'd say to that is that. South Africa has been sitting with their feet up. Um, will be sitting with their feet up for two weeks. Ireland yeah. have gone full strength for every game yeah. this World Cup. So they this may be getting true. to a point where you know, their players, yes, they did have a, a week off last week, but you know they might be getting fatigued. Um, yep, yeah, that's it's a, just a... Uh, it's a tough one to know for sure. Like, are they getting fatigued or are they just getting into their groove and, you know, able to week by week give out a good performance? But we'll see at the end of the World Cup what's worked best. I mean, it's it's hard to tell. Um, I mean, Ireland, Ireland are going to get out the group. They're just going to get knocked out in the quarters. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> so no, you, yes. It's the Irish way. Yeah. There is no other way. <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see if. Uh, most likely New Zealand, but if not New Zealand, France, um, if they can do us all a favor and knock out Ireland in the quarterfinal. So, um, so you, don't, you don't back Italy to beat France this weekend, huh? Well, yeah, there's, there's still just, that permutation. Yeah, I was just going to get there, but to answer your question, I do not. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the other decent-ish big games are France, Italy, England, Samoa, perhaps, and Japan, Argentina. So out of those, do you think France, Italy is probably the highlight of those three? Well, I think Japan Argentina is the more competitive one. I think we, you know, given given New Zealand against Italy last week, I don't think we're going to expect it to put up much of a fight. But I think uh, is it Japan, yeah, Japan Argentina or Japan Samoa, Japan Argentina. Japan, Argentina. That's, yeah. They're playing both playing to go through. I think um, yeah. so that's definitely the game of the, the round for that pool. Um, yeah, you know that, that. I don't know if it's going to be a great game to watch, um, but it'll definitely be a tense one. Yeah, and fighting to play Wales in the quarterfinals. So if they do start, either of them have the room to improve, and then you know to put a to put a, a decent performance against Wales, they can then start dreaming. Do we think either of them could beat Wales? I mean, it hasn't looked like it based on the game so far, but that's why I say it. now is the best time to start improving. So we know that Argentina, if they play as well as they can, they can definitely beat Wales, and that's. The mo I, I think that Argentina's high is much, potential high is a lot higher than uh, Japan's. So I want Argentina to go through because I think they would have a better chance of beating Wales. Cool. I'm agreed. Uh, yeah. Not that I think they will, but yeah, we'll see what happens. Um, yeah. yeah. And, I mean, I think Wales are just playing pragmatically enough to, to make the semis where they're going to get annihilated by New Zealand or Ireland. <laughs> yeah, almost probably. So, so this time, I mean, I'm quite, I'm quite glad we avoid Wales in a semi-final. To be honest, really, I don't enjoy playing Wales. I'd, no, no. I'd rather play England. I think we beat England. I think we beat England far more easily than we beat Wales. Sure, I don't know if I agree with that. 
I just wouldn't want a repeat of that 2019 semi-final against Wales. That's I what I'm saying. Wales, Wales way, yeah. drag you down, they strangle you, and they make it. Whereas England, like they're just so limited, and uh, you're just going to completely squash them in the forwards. Like I just don't have, see. Have, have you not seen George Ford's drop goals? <laughs> <laughs> that requires them getting field position. This is true. Uh, yeah, but like yeah, I, don't, I don't. That I'm saying England don't don't stress me. I just think their their game plan is too limited um, to bother us. Whereas Wales could, you know, Wales can just be annoying, um, and drag us down into a scrappy game. You know, just like Tonga like made it uncomfortable for us. I think Wales can do that, but better. Um, sure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it should be an interesting week, the last group stage. And then we'll have the quarterfinals to look forward to. We'll know who's playing who. Um, we'll see if South Africa, in most likelihood, playing France. We'll see if that changes. But yeah, uh, any final words based on South Africa's group stage performance, I guess? We've seen them play four games. Three wins, one disappointing loss to Ireland. Final thoughts? I would say we're still pretty much on track. We talked about you know, if there's a game to lose, it was going to be the one against Ireland. And I think we've seen enough, even in that defeat, to show that we still have what it takes to go all the way. I think we still, we're yet to see a complete performance from the Springboks. Um, discipline errors, uh, uh, playing B teams. Um, I think if we manage to pull off a complete performance of the full strength side, there's no one in World Rugby that can beat us. So, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think our, our ceiling is certainly the highest. Um, and I think, you know, if we played Ireland again, we'll, we'll beat them. I think Ireland did very well to stop us, but I still think we were the better team on the day. Yeah. Um, and there was, you know, we were a couple of missed goals, and you know some dodgy refereeing at the finish from um, you know beating them pretty comfortably, and you know what was described as one of Ireland's best games ever. So, yeah, I think I think we we if we play play to our potential, which is always an issue for the Springboks. Um, yeah, we've 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 got this, and I think we've shown enough in the pool stage just to confirm it. Yeah, and there you have it. Um, thanks for joining us. We shall catch you again next week. Uh, enjoy your week and enjoy the last stage of the group stage of the Rugby World Cup. See you soon. Cheers.